Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. Again, I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're presenting a message that is engaging and transforming and hopefully empowering you, our listeners, to engaging and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, We are uh, again, we are doing this Facebook Live as well as live on blogtalkradio.com slash zero today. So we thank all of you who are listening on both uh, outlets. We appreciate your support. And uh, this uh, this video will also be on YouTube. So if you're following on YouTube, I want you to uh, like, hit that like button, subscribe to my channel on YouTube, and also follow us on all our social media. We are on Facebook, Zero Network, and you can go and listen to our archive shows all the way back to 2011. We're also um, on Twitter at Zero Radio, Z-E-R-A Radio. That is the show handle. My personal handle is at uh, Lorenzo T. Neal on Twitter. And uh, those are all the social media that we're out. We're on. We thank you for joining us. We appreciate your support. And we have an interesting topic that we want to talk about uh, today. Uh, in regards to um, the issue that's going on with, uh, well, not the issue that's going on, but uh, the situation that happened with the um, hip hop artist Nipsey Hussle. Now, I'm going to admit, as a write off, I don't know much about anything about Nipsey Hussle until this incident happened, and I've got uh, garnered a lot of affection for him and what he was doing. And as well as for um, his family, his daughter and his, uh, I don't know if that was fiance or wife or they say partner now. So his partner. So we're going to talk about that. We're, we're going to be talking about um, issue of low differentiation of self and that effect, it, the effect that it has on the violence that we're seeing, particularly in our urban communities and uh, committed by young black men. And I I believe there are two components to that that I'm going to be talking about uh, in addition to 
uh, regurgitating some of the information that I've learned about Nipsey Hussle, but um, that yeah, I want to talk about that. But before I get into that, um, today, this month, April, is Autism Awareness Month. Yesterday was uh, Autism Awareness Day, and if you can see, I'm wearing blue, uh, and I will be wearing some facet of blue all month in honor of those persons, adults, and children who live with autism, who live on the autism spectrum. And there are a lot of persons who are affected by that. Uh, sometimes you can't tell. Sometimes you can't tell. Um, but having been an educator and um, having to have to engage those persons who were uh, on the autism spectrum, and I, I completely I understand the parents that struggle with the children who uh, uh, are on the spectrum, wherever it may be, I commend them. Because it, it is a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing to have children who are on the autism spectrum. Now I'm not I'm not going to get into the <laughs> the the um the conspiracy theories regarding vaccinations and their connection with autism. I've heard that argument before <laughs> and uh, that conspiracy theory. Uh I I don't all I can say is God doesn't make mistakes. And um I, Whatever that, whatever it is, how we come into this world, we are gifted in every capacity, and our giftings uh, are reflected in various ways. Javon, what's up, my brother? Good to see you, man. Thank you for tuning in. Um, so we're on Facebook Live, so uh, you can interact with me on the chat and in the Facebook Live. Also, there's... Uh, if you are listening by way of Blog Talk Radio, you can call in 347-237-5230, and um, you can get your thoughts, insight, dialogue, comments on the air uh, on both outlets. So uh, I came across an interesting story on this week. Um, John Gray, Pastor John Gray, has been in the news <laughs> for I don't know how long uh, because of a lot of things that's happening. But uh, recently, the former one of the former uh, leaders there, uh, Carpenter, that's her name, uh, Hope Carpenter, who whose husband Ron Carpenter, she they planted they planted the uh, church that was called Redemption Church, uh, that is now called Relentless Church, and is pastored by uh, John Gray uh, and his wife Avantar. Uh Anyway, so she was there. Um, this past uh, recently, I don't know if it's this past week or whatever, but she was there recently addressing the, that church body, and and she uh, made a comment, and um, it said that she was supporting she's supporting the pastors John and his wife, and she said I'll cut you, <laughs> and I carry a knife in the pocketbook of my purse or something like that, and I understood I I I can see the context of. <laughs> Her trying to, you know, in the black church vernacular or black woman vernacular, I cut you, you know. I'm trying to see that as a joke, uh, comic relief or some some sort. Uh, But it didn't come across that way to some. It came across as threatening or uh, at at the least offensive to some. I don't care, you know. It doesn't really bother me. But the reason I'm talking about this is because the controversy that's uh, 
Pastor Gray and his wife have been addressing regarding infidelity or whatever it may have been uh, is similar to, or not quite the same as, but similar to what Pastor Ron and his wife experienced while they were pastors there. If you're familiar with Pastor Ron Carpenter um, and his wife, Hope, um, some years ago, uh, Pastor Ron came public with the fact that his wife had been uh, having uh, uh, affairs, um, I guess kind of like in a serial affair, uh, and that she uh, was experiencing some type of mental illness that um, was reflected in that uh, those actions. And they went through counseling, and uh, as he puts it, it didn't really work for her. The counseling didn't work for her. And um, which, and then later on, she made a comment. Um, I, I can't recall exactly what it was, but it was during the Trump, you know, during the campaign season, 2016. She made this comment, and that went viral. That came across as uh, racially insensitive at best. Uh, and so, that probably contributed to their uh, leaving. Uh, their church, Redemption Church, and going over to California where they now pastor Redemption Church. <laughs> they they took over another church in California. I think it was called um, I whatever, but they renamed that church Redemption Church. They rebranded it Redemption and handed the reins over to John Gray and his wife. Now, I, 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 as as I analyze this, I think about maybe of that leadership needs to all need to address the issues that they have pastoral leadership and flaw, um, including you know when I speak to that, I, I speak to myself also because you know when we address flaws, uh, we can't do it without looking within ourselves and seeing the the moat in our eye. Um, and seeing the mode in our eye helps us to have empathy for those, as well as sympathy, but empathy mostly for those who uh, uh, experience those mistakes, those pastoral leadership mistakes, pastoral fault, failings, moral failings. You know, we all have them, and it's our responsibility as pastors to love and care both for those we serve and lead, as well as for ourselves. And um, and um, I, I think we can we can all benefit from that. Uh, but I just you know I just thought it was a bit uh, comical to me that uh, that what she said was, was taken out of taken that way by some. And uh, but again, I just I pray for all church leaders. Whatever we all we all in need it. Uh, Pastor Gray is in need of it a little bit more. Um, than some of us, but we all need it because it may be him today, it'd be another pastor tomorrow, it might be me the next week. We don't know. Even at our best, even at our moral best, our, our moral highest, we are still flawed. And when we realize that as part of our ministry and integrate that into our, our preaching and our healing, and uh, we'll see the great results. But anyway, I digress. I didn't mean to go into all of that. I just wanted to share that. I also want to encourage, uh, if you are not aware, Pastor uh, Dr. Tony Evans, or wonderful um, 
person that I admire. Um, uh, oh, and he will be here in uh, Jackson Metro area uh, later this year for our Embrace Muffler Ethnic Church Planning Conference. Uh, I'm part of that team, and uh, we'll we'll see more about that. Talk more talk to more about that. The Embrace Conference, multi ethnic conference. We also have coming up later on this month, a Night of Unity, which is here in the state of Mississippi. We're bringing all churches together, uh, interfaith. I mean, we're bringing them together for a one event of empowerment and uh, reconciliation. All of that. Uh, I believe that's April 27th. I may have that day wrong, but uh, it's a night of unity to be here in in the capital city of Mississippi, Jackson, at uh, Veterans Memorial Stadium. So we're looking forward to that, and we're putting that out there. Also, while I'm on this road, uh, (laughs) while I am on this road uh, doing all these plugs for all these events, uh, my latest book is out. My latest book uh, is out. It's called... Um, Reflections from the Pastor Studies, and it is available as an ebook on Amazon, uh, Kindle ebook. And also, there's a hard copy that's also available. You can go to Amazon. Uh, you can also, I, you know, I'm going to have it live on my website in a little bit, but uh, you can go to my, uh, my personal Facebook page, and you'll see it there, uh, the link there that you can go. And uh, you still, it's still available for pre order. So uh, the ebook is still available for pre-order. The physical book, the paperback, will be available. Um, I think next week it'll be available for order, and um, you can. Um, I'll give you the information on how you can order the paperback. Uh, either way, you can go to Amazon, and it'll also be available at, at, on every uh, at every major bookstore. So you can be able to order it at Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, all of that, and uh, we'll be putting together a personal tour, a book tour where you can uh, you can purchase it for me. And uh, hey, Cuz, good to see you. Thank you for joining in. Um, and um, uh, please get your copy. Get your copy. Get your copy. We are pushing. Um, we're trying to get a, a 500 sales. Uh, for pre-orders, if we can do that, and I believe we can do that, so go ahead, go to Amazon, download, you know, purchase your pre-copy, and it's only five ninety-nine for the ebook. It's fifteen dollars for the paper copy, paper copy, <laughs> the paper copy. So go ahead, order your copy today. Reflections from the Pastor Study, and I appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, enough of the advertising. Let's get into the topic of the day. So I. Uh, like many of you uh, heard the news, uh, good morning, uh, uh, Rochelle. Thank you, uh, Carmen. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate you for purchasing your copy. Uh, oh, if you purchase a copy, a physical copy of the paperback, uh, I want you to please take a picture. And let me know uh, that you got it. If you have the ebook, uh, still let me know. <laughs> uh, Pastor Mills, good to see you. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in. So. Uh, like many of you learned the news about the uh, the assassination of hip hop artist, entrepreneur, and civically engaged, socially engaged uh, uh, person Nipsey Hussle, and I cannot pronounce his real name. I'm not going to even try it, but I leave it at Nipsey Hussle, um, and that he was assassinated in broad daylight uh, this past weekend in front of his business, 
uh, it grieved me to hear that the fact that he was shot in broad daylight grieved me greatly. And the fact that um, as now news have come out, we know that uh, the person has been apprehended or the suspect has been apprehended. It's a young black brother, uh, 29, and I think Nipsey Hussle was 32, 33. So we have the death. We have the death of a a young black man who is a father, and uh, in relate, you know, all the a father, a lover, husband, uh, partner to someone, and he was giving back to his community. And as I led, as I read more about him and how he was with the uh, uh, a local gang, and he took that energy of what he was doing in the gang and reframed it and uh, transfused it, transferred it, and transmuted it into positive energy and a positive hustle. Went from being a negative hustle, uh, infringing upon the community, to being a positive hustle, impacting and engaging the community. And you have to commend the brother for doing that. And I was reading where he he had a lot of things in the work. Um, one, he had the uh, documentary he was uh, producing or providing funding to uh, a documentary about Dr. Sebi. And if anybody knew about Dr. Sebi, the herbalist and natural healer who went on trial in the 80s and was found now guilty um, and, and has then went on to gain national and international regard for his work in uh, – natural healing, uh, homeopathic medicine and all of that, and uh, who recently passed away. But his impact, his writings and his philosophy and his teachings are all available on YouTube. And I've seen several of them before he passed away. I was very impacted by his work. Uh, I question a lot of it, you know, because I'm skeptical, homeopathic. Uh, But uh, he seemed to provide the empirical evidence of his methodology and his met and, and you know the remedies and they they worked. I, I mean, the evidence showed that they worked. People were healed. Uh, you know of of things that uh, big pharma medicine, big pharma companies provide pills for. People were going turning to these homeopathic um, these homeopathic means of healing and seeing results. Short result, bigger results, greater results in shorter time, and so, uh, so he was putting behind that. He he bought a strip mall in his neighborhood, and, and where he grew up um, in Crenshaw, I believe, and uh, I, I, it's in South, it's in California, in in Los Angeles area, in the hood. Um, and he reinvested in that, and he had his own store and. And, you know, he was doing that. And the last thing that I read was that he had recently been in in negotiation with the Los Angeles Police Department to bring the gangs together. And he was doing all of this under the radar while he was – or not really under the radar. He was doing this while making music, and apparently his music was good. I You know, I don't really listen to much of today's rap. I'm I'm old school (laughs) 80s and early 90s hip hop, you know, you know, that's just where I am. 
I I listened to a little bit of the 2000s when I was a band director, and I was listening to it because the kids wanted to shake their booty. They wanted to shake their booty to that music. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, so I did listen to a little of that. I, I have been familiar with Soldier Boy, and then I listened to some of the mumble rap. I, I think I heard Lil Yachty. <laughs> That's about as much as I know. And, um, yeah, so, yeah. Anyway. So he's, he's uh, I, I didn't listen to, I have since gone and listened to some of his music and, um, you know, I, I'm still on the line with, with, with somebody, but that's neither here nor there. I'm old. I'm getting old. I'm middle-aged and I realized that I am like those middle-aged adults when I was a teenager and a young adult. I'm not just, I'm just not going to get it. So I ain't going to try to get it I applaud those of you who are my age group Who do get it More power to you Because it goes over my head Anyway So in doing all of this He was still Killed At the hand Of another brother And this is what grieves me the most He was killed As is being reported Because of a dispute It was not that uh, some were saying, you know, conspiracy. Some were saying gang-related, and some were saying all kinds of things. And there have been a number of, of of theories as to what led about it. And some are even saying the government may have put a hit out on him and caused one of our folks to do it. But that's neither the, here nor there. The fact that it was a brother killing another brother that grieves me, and it's a person who has. Um, been directly impacted by gun violence um, with my mother being uh, a victim of gun violence uh, and my nephew, my 18-year-old nephew being a victim of gun violence. My 25, my mother was just 25 years old. It, that was nearly 40 years ago. But, you know, I, 25 was such a young life. And my brother was all, one of my brothers was killed, even though it was not by way of gun violence, but my, my, my brother Emmanuel was stabbed to death by a friend. We consider him, matter of fact, we were even told, <laughs> we, we were cousins, you know, <laughs> you know, and to have him die violent like that. Uh, so, you know, I've been in fact, in practice, impacted by violence, death, and, and, you know, when I hear of brothers killing brothers, especially uh, when it's preventable, that's what grieves me. So that's why I want to talk about. Uh, I want to bring this component of uh, my my studies. And, and uh, if you're not familiar, I did my doctoral research in um, counseling psychology, and I specialized in my area of expertise. Expertise is in uh, family systems model by John uh, by Bowen. Murray Bowen and um, his his family systems model and it has eight concepts in it and one of the concepts that I focus on is this concept of differentiation of self um, and I focused on it from a clergy perspective and ministry perspective and ministry professional perspective but it's applicable it's applicable to the workforce but it's more applicable for self it's about uh, Emotional intelligence, emotional uh, awareness, and interpersonal relationships. And 
Sam, um, not Sam. I don't know why I want to keep saying sir, but uh, Murray Bowen uh, theorized that um, that um, a person who is well differentiated and differentiates yourself. The the the, the easiest way I can define it is a is that a person is able to engage their feelings and their thoughts. So they're able to engage them and then separate them. They're able to say that, okay, this is what I'm feeling, and because I'm feeling this way, this is what I'm thinking, and because I'm thinking this way, these two do not necessarily have to interact to cause me to uh, behave irrationally, erratically, or inappropriately. So when a person is well differentiated in itself, they are able to understand and diff, you know, to separate those two, and they're less likely to react. And and what I'm finding, and just by observation, I have not done any empirical research on this, but I, I more than likely will do so. But what I'm finding is, uh, if you look back over the uh, the last four generations, and I'm saying four generations because you go back to the '60s, the '80s. In the 2000s, and uh, well, that's three generations, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. The 60s, the 80s, and the 2000s, and you'll see, you'll see uh, a similarity. And again, I don't have the empirical research because I have not done the empirical research. This is just by observation. But you'll see, um, for example, in the mid to late 60s, you had a rise in violence, and you had a rise. In gangs, uh, in urban areas, urban centers, including those small urban centers like my hometown in Louisiana, but you had a peak there. Those those gangs were not as violent as uh, the ones that we saw in the late eighties, in the eighties, uh, and latter part of the eighties and early nineties. And they were even those gangs we're not as violent as we see uh now and what we're seeing now just by, again by observation not by um not by empirical research but what we're seeing now is even if those persons are involved in gang what we're seeing is a higher reaction uh reactivity in other words hey Ross thank you for joining what we're seeing is there is a higher reactivity so in in observing the high reactivity, as a therapist, I can see that there is low differentiation. They're not taking the time to be personally aware, emotionally aware, and they're just reacting. And the more they react to trauma, the more they react to emotional uh, disturbances within themselves, uh, we see the violent outbursts. And, and that, that is what's contributing. That is one thing that's contributing to what we are seeing in the um, increase of urban violence. That's that's just one contributor. And I'm speaking again specifically, specifically <laughs> particularly from um, the psychological perspective. Uh, I'm going to get into the spiritual perspective, but from the psychological perspective, when we're talking about emotional cognizance and emotional uh, intelligence, there are there is not enough address in our urban communities, in our black communities, in our black families, and in the black church. There's not enough addressing this issue of emotional health. 
And that ties in with mental health, that ties in with spiritual health, that ties in with physical health, and it ties into the entire, uh, the wholeness, the holistic approach to how we engage ourselves and each other. If we are not well self-differentiated, if we are not able to discern and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now, how am I going to react? Or, uh, you know, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm thought thinking. And uh, what I'm going to do as as a therapist, I'm trained, uh, particularly when it comes to cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, I'm trained to be able to say, okay, this is a thought. It is real. It is there, and it may seem very, very potent and real, but it's just a thought. That's the thing. It's just a thought, which means that you are able. You should be able to capture that thought. And you should be able to engage yourself to reframe that thought, any negative automatic thought in the beginning particular. You should be able to capture that thought, reframe that thought, and then in reframing that, change it to where it's no longer negative but positive. And when it's positive, you can then engage and react positively. Now, that that. That requires, it seems like it takes a lot of effort, but it really doesn't. It's, it's as simple as uh, reframing and retooling yourself to be more aware of what affects you. Uh, now, when it comes to differentiation of self, you know, we, we, when we're flooded with emotions, when we, when we get overwhelmed with emotions, the likelihood of us making proper logical decisions decreases. It, it, it decreases, and when it decreases, and you know you can go to Google and find some of this stuff. Uh, you, you can go to Google and find something. But when it when it decreases, um, that's when we're more likely to make bad decisions, and and also engage in bad behaviors. Uh, my phone's going off. Hold on. Take it out this real quick. And I'm back. <laughs> All right, but uh, when we um, when we are not as well differentiated, when what what happens is the emotions that we feel that we experience, um, we are unable to critically assess them. And when we're unable to critically assess them, and it doesn't take a long time to assess you, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to sit and think and ponder for a long time. No, it's just meaning that the moment the thought comes in, in that, that split moment, you have the opportunity to engage it positively or negatively. You can say, okay, I'm thinking this, and this thought is making me feel this way, but I don't have to think or feel this way because none of those are actualized. It's not actualized until I feel until I make them that way. Until I say that, okay, yeah, I'm feeling this way and I'm thinking this way, but I don't have to really feel or think this way because of A, B, C, D, or E, whatever it may be. And once we, and again, it doesn't take a long time to do that. It only takes moments to do that. Now, a person who is well self-differentiated uh, will have the means to uh even if they do he react emotionally, uh, they'll be able to understand, okay, this is an emotional reaction, 
but I can control how I react to the emotion. I can control how I react to the individual I'm engaging or if I'm engaging myself. Um, when I have clients, uh, particularly with family therapy, when I have clients who are engaged in marital disputes, the, the biggest thing that they find is, is when it comes to the idea of differentiation of self and engaging their partner is is uh, kind of is like okay I'm feeling this way and but I'm hearing this thing and the partner saying this I'm hearing this way I know it's not the case but this is what I'm hearing how do I react uh, and <laughs> that can be fun sometimes but when we when we have we have black men we have young black men who are very low when it comes to esteem, very low when it comes to uh, engagement with themselves, very low when it comes to uh, validation uh, from from men, uh, you know, older men, and even validate the they're finding themselves having to validate themselves in a physical manner without being validated emotionally. And then we're not talking about, you know, creating pansies or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's about engaging them and, and finding where they are, finding them where they are and engaging them in that manner. I believe uh, now when it comes to the case of Nipsey and the young brother that killed him, I won't call his name. I'm, I'm not going to call his name. But the brother who killed him, they were engaging each other. Now, you know, they're in the hood. So let's put this in perspective. They're in the hood, and both of these brothers have been engaged in the hood um, upbringing. The way they interact has always been, you know, at each other. This is how we engage. We don't really, even if we're in the same clique, even if we're in the same if we're in the same uh, hood, whatever, this is how we're going to come at each other. We're always going to be at each other's throat. We're going to be looking out for each other, but we ain't going to really be trusting each other. And there's always going to be me against you, you against me, even if we're on the same. I'm going to be watching you, watching me, watching you. When it comes to it, from that from that way, um, it, it's 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 challenging to reengage to engage them. And, and help them refrain that that interaction. And then when you have um, reported, you know, you know that this person who carried out the the assassination was emboldened to do so. I mean, he was just that angry. He was just that angry at the brother, at Dipsy, for whatever it was they were in dispute about. Just that angry to be able to. Uh, to take out this anger, to emote with a weapon. That's what he basically was doing, emoting with a weapon. Now think about that. You take all that energy and all the emotions that is driving that that energy and all the energy that's driving that emotion, you put a weapon, a semi-automatic weapon in your hand, it cause a lot of damage. So he's emoting with this weapon, and it wasn't sufficient for him just to emote. He had to go and kick the body and make sure, you know, let him know that I got you. I got you first before you got me. And and there are many black men, young black men, 
beginning in as young as fourth and fifth grade. But that aggression and that aggression continues and it continues and it builds up. Get into athletics and that may be a partial athlete outlet for it, but we, we're seeing even now that some of those who athletes who make it successful and they make it to the NFL and to a higher levels of uh, their athletic abilities, they too still struggle because they, they have those that same type of uh, rage, anger, and um, low self-differentiation, and they too um, emote violence. And it, it, you know, some would say it's cyclical. cyclical. Uh, I don't even know if I said that right, but y'all get what I'm saying. Now, I went, I went back to, uh, I want to go back to the original point that I was making regarding um, uh, the generations. Uh, I was going from the 60s, the 80s, and to 2000s because that's about the time of a generation. Um, for example, those persons who were, uh, Young adults in the 60s, they were in their late teens and early 20s in the 60s are the ones who gave birth uh, to my generation in, in the 70s and early 80s. And then those who were born in the late 70s and early 80s gave birth to the generation that was born now in uh, in, in the 2000s who are now um, – in early who may now be teenagers, late teenagers, or uh, you know maybe even in the early twenties, you know late nineties or twenties. But what what I was saying earlier is when you saw, if you go back and and if you can if you can see um, it, what what we're seeing now has always existed, but it it is just. Uh, Again, it's heightened to a degree. It, it's heightened because during the 60s, well, there was outbursts of rage. And, you know, you saw the riots in the 60s. You saw the, again, as I stated, a lot of the gangs that were that are now commonplace in some of the urban centers of the United States were formed in the 60s. They weren't as, they were violent, but they weren't as brutally violent or uh, uh uh, I don't want to say brutally, but they weren't as uh, cold. They were able to, you know, you know, you fought, but you fought with your fist, or you you had your bat, you know, you had your knife, and <laughs> you, you know, the goal wasn't to kill as much as it was to defend your 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 block, to defend your rep, or you know, and even though there were violence, there was some violence that took place during that time, and and with my generation. You know, by the time I came up, we um, we were seeing the full-fledged effect of the gang life. I, I never forget the documentary Banging in Little Rock. I don't know if y'all remember that, but I had the opportunity to, to live and work and teach in Little Rock, Arkansas. I got to meet one of the persons who was a part of that documentary and who is now reformed in, in ministry and doing wonderful work still in the city of Little Rock. But, you know, I saw that documentary banging in Little Rock, and I was like, yeah, this, you know, of course, you know, I was I was the nerd. So and even though I wanted to be affiliated with gangs, and, of course, I was, uh, in my hood, it's, you know, I was a nerd. So <laughs> I got away with a lot of stuff. I got good. I got in good with the right people, <laughs> so I wasn't bullied. Anyway, um, 
but we saw we saw the increase of that that perspective that perception of black males with the Bloods, the Crips, and the Vice Lords, and all the other gangs that you could probably think of, not including the ones that are uh, in the other metro areas like Chicago. Um, I can't think of them. Y'all probably are familiar with them. But anyway, but those those uh, those gangs, as 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 we were engaging and maturing, we 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 did see a lot of gang violence. And that was also correlated with the, you know, the drug epidemic, and, uh, crack and drug epidemic, epidemic in many of our communities. And so we saw that. And by the time those of us who made it through, and, and when I say us, I'm talking about those in my age group who are now in their uh, 40s, in their 40s or uh, late 40s or early 50s, we, we, we you know, we, we were able to grow up. And we, we we see now the fruit of our labor that was not intended to be fruit. And the children now, uh, they 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 are so disengaged with each other and with themselves. We we see an increase in um, in public schools. You see an increase of suspensions. And on IEP reports, you're seeing where there's a greater aggressiveness, even in young girls, as early as seven and eight years old. And these children are very aggressive. And, and I see it in three and four year olds when they're talking back, and and they just as stubborn as they want to be. And the parents don't know how to engage them. And you know, and by the time they get into the public school system, in particular, they've already been written off as you know, this person, this child is this, 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 and we're going to provide these, this, this, this service, and we're going to, we're going to keep them in this service without rehabilitating, without fully addressing them. And you know, the more we do and provide to them, the worse the behavior gets. And by the time they're in high school, last times that nine times out of ten, and I do say nine because it is a great number now great number of them uh have a habitual offense with um uh, with their behavior. Now they may they never they may not be criminalized. They may never you know they may go not never go to ju- juvenile hall or anything like that. But their behavior has been habitualized to the point that any time they do something it's already expected that they're gonna act out in some capacity. Now when you add uh trauma to that and you had the trauma of uh, typically uh, really being homeless, you know, so you're, you know, you have no no home stability, so you're moving from place to place. You have no spiritual stability. You don't go, their parents don't go to church. The parents don't take them to church. If they do go to churches for special activities like uh, church field trip or vacation Bible school, that's the only time they really get engaged with church or funerals and stuff like that. So you had that trauma. Then you had the trauma of, the environment of the school, if they're in a public school, and unfortunately, I've taught in public schools, so I know the environment of public schools. I've taught in Title, title One, and I've taught in um, private and parochial schools, so I, I've been able to see both perspectives. And uh, Reverend Dandridge, thank you for joining. You're absolutely right. There is through pipeline, prism, ADD, and ADHD. I could talk because I have been diagnosed with ADHD. I, I, that's me. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but anyway, but 
you're, you're correct. By the time they're assessed in that manner, as young as, you know, first and second grade, they have become habitualized offenders behaviorally. And that continues on. The expectations is not as much for them to improve in behavior. And they don't improve in behavior. They may improve academically, and that's commendable. They, they may improve academically, and they may graduate, and they go on, and um, but they do not improve habitually, behaviorally. And so when you add other components as they grow up, you know, that puberty hits, and that rage against the machine hits, and it's it seems to be more intense in this generation than any other generation. Again, I have no direct empirical evidence for that. This is just by observation. So please, uh, if you have any comments, uh, don't just come at me saying uh, you know this is this is more uh, speculative and observationist than anything else. But by the time uh, they get into that that emotional age and they're experiencing puberty and romantic things and all of that stuff, if that behavior is not fully addressed and it's been, you know, going on, they've been in this particular behavior uh, uh, habitually, then likely when you add um, that emotional component to it and they're unable to differentiate the emotion, they're unable to, to um, take time step back, analyze, rationalize, and they just react, that's when you get situations like this. This is that that it that can lead to. I'm not saying it does, but it can lead to the violent uh violence that we see. And again, Reverend Dangerous, you're actually right. Uh we gotta stop stigmatizing our children. We have to uh they are traumatized. Uh, and there's a report um that was just recently released and I cannot think of it. Uh and when preparing for this, I was reading a whole lot of things, and um, and I came across a report where uh, where there are ch- these children in this generation are more stressed about some of everything, and they are they they are stretched emotionally, and they are stressed, and I you know I didn't think they could be as stressed as an adult, but but there's a lot that they're experiencing that we don't really take in consideration, and we. Uh, uh, unfortunately, as adults, we kind of ignore because we think you ain't got you know, what you what you are in emotions for, what you in your feelings for. Now think about these black men who go through the experience, and we don't take the time as adults, especially as uh, older black men, to engage them, uh, to be their mentors, to be help them understand the emotions that they're experiencing, help them put everything. Uh, uh, a construct and framework of channeling their aggression, you know, finding something to channel their aggression. Uh, you're right, uh, Rosalind, anxiety isn't an all-time high across the board, and it's, it's not just for children, but it's across the board, adults too. Um, I didn't think I was in, I didn't think I had the problem with anxiety until I was diagnosed and realized that I had general anxiety dis- disorder. And there are many people in this world that suffer and are, are living with general anxiety disorder, and the children are are living with that. And there is no, you know, in the black community in particular, you know, we don't talk about this. You know, we don't encourage. We're not encouraged to go see a therapist. We're not encouraged to to talk about it. 
to express yourself. You know, I it's still <laughs> I love this and I hate this at the same time. Black mothers, I love you and I'm I'm glad, but I I, I hate when you yell at your children. When you raise your voice at your children, when you call your children out of your, their names, that sticks with them, that is embedded into their self-identity, and later in life, they in turn react. They do. And it could start young, but it's and um, <laughs> I know I know it's a part of black culture because my grandmother did it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, I I see my my nieces, uh my my cousins do it to their children and it's funny because it reminds me I like man, yeah, yep. Yep, that's how it was growing up. And, but you know I, I I am grieved by it because I know it's it's part cultural and it's part emotional for whatever component, you know. And it's a it's a combination of those things, and I'm tired just thinking about that. But the young men, that is not engaged. When that anger and that aggression is not engaged, what you have is people who cannot resolve conflict. It when people, black men, cannot resolve conflict. I remember growing up watching. The dice game. <laughs> and it, I ain't going to say what I played or not, but I watched. <laughs> and um, uh, what movie was that? Uh, Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights. If you watched Harlem Nights, you, you remember that scene where uh, there was the dice game, I believe it was. I hope it's the right movie. Anyway, um, I don't know too many people who got killed. I know a whole lot of fights that happened. Behind a, a dice game or behind a game of spades, either one of them. Dice, skate, spades. Now I don't know any too much fighting on dominoes. You know, I don't, I don't know about the bones, but spades and, and, and um, <laughs> spades and, and and crafts, man. That was gonna be some fighting. Somebody was gonna be mad if their money was taken. But I digress. Um, uh, the aggression was there, but the you know. Most had a, a, and again, this is general observation. I cannot speak uh, for the entirety of the, the black men, uh, for all black men, but there, there was a time most black men had a, an awareness, a general awareness of the uh, the anger, the aggression that they had, and they channeled it in some, some way. They found some way to channel it. Uh, many of the young kids today don't have a means of channeling it. They have video games. But those video games are not channeling the, the aggression. It's actually reinforcing the aggression. It's actually conditioning them, them to be more aggressive when they encounter other persons. Because it again, this is subjective. This is this is subliminal. That they are engaging these games and they're thinking about it and, and they're you know they're analyzing how they can carry out violent violent acts by way of video game, and it internalizes within them and. Sometimes they go act out, other times they may not, but they don't have a, a suitable outlet. Video games is not a suitable outlet for aggression. It, it, it's good, but it's not a suitable outlet for aggression. And um, and when we find these young men who have that, who have not um, differentiated themselves, and they're not aware that they they will or they are 
emoting and reacting, reacting emotionally, and then you hand a weapon to them, they will, they will commit an act of violence, an aggressive act of violence. And um, Raj, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, we have a lot. Uh, we must. Uh, we must find that that component of our culture, engage it, and eliminate it. And uh, it's it's hard to do because again, it's part of our culture and it's been ingrained, you know, unfortunately. And some folk would think you ain't black if you ain't been fussed at by your mama, by your mama. You ain't been cussed out by your mama. Uh, I watch some videos uh, uh, on YouTube and where comedians are are doing this now. You know, they they it's male comedians posing as female comedians, but that's a whole different thing. But anyway, uh, but anyway, they're regurgitating this idea of the violent, the the uh, angry mother. Not I don't even know if angry mother is the right way, but anyway, that's that's what they're portraying. You know, your mama gonna fuss at you, and she gonna fuss and loud. It, it's just it, it, it's funny, but at the same time, it's um, it's really detrimental to our our our, our culture. Um, and I I can't say any other culture does that like we do. That may be that may not be. Uh, Pastor Dandridge, um, we have a lot of work to do in helping women in their conflict resolution. I agree. Uh, again, you're dealing with uh, most of these young men uh, live with. And around single women, single mothers, and uh, they see how they interact with, you know, the black woman. Unfortunately, I don't know how we can res- how we can uh, dissolve this imagery of the angry black woman, but that has become synonymous with them. You know, the black woman is aggressive, the black woman is angry, and uh, you know, they're gonna cuss and gonna fuss, and because of shows like. Uh, Real Housewives, Banana, Real Love and Love and Hip Hop, and all these where they're fighting and all of this. This is reinforcing this idea that black women cannot resolve conflict. And if black women can resolve conflict, what can we expect of black men, the other to do in like manner, violence to resolve conflict? Instead of fighting and pulling hair and all that stuff, we get a gun and we shoot. It, it is is very detrimental to our culture. Now, this is where the church comes in. This is where me as a pastor, I as a pastor, does come as a pastor. First of all, we must be direct in address and say, look, this may be part of our culture, but this does not have to be our culture. We must engage and transform. You know, I, I'm all about empowerment, liberation, and transformation. That's what I'm about. Empowerment, liberation, transformation. That that is the effect of what I try to do as a pastor, and that's what I try to do as a person. Um, beginning with myself, I'm aware of myself where I need to engage myself, and I'm aware where I fall short, so I can point the finger or throw throw the stone at anyone else. Um, that that's one thing. Secondly, is as the pastor, I must be aware that Scripture does teach us how to engage one another. To love God with our whole self, our whole being, with all our mind and soul, 
that includes the emotions and all of that. We, that's how we are to love God, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we love ourselves, we're able to, you know, if, if we don't want nobody hurting us, we shouldn't be wanting to hurt anyone. And that's what we have to put by these young black men. You know, it's called to go doing to others as you would have them do unto you. You don't want anybody hurting you or your family. You don't want nobody fussing at your kids. You'll jump at them. You and you know have that type of that same concern about. Oh Lord, I'm getting passionate. Have that same concern in regard for yourself as you would have for God if you are a subscriber to uh, a believer in, in the higher faith of God and that. Then that that is how we should do. That's how we should do. And pastors, we need to be emboldened to say, look, stop. You can't be a full Christian behaving like this. And we have to say, okay, our church is no longer what it used to be. We have, we have to say, we have to be honest, there's been a paradigm shift within our church where we're seeing the, uh, the, the mis-engagement of holiness. We don't have the social holiness like we used to. We, and, and we don't even have the, the holiness holiness like we used to. <laughs> And much less the social holiness. We don't have the prophetic, prophetic uh, 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 ability, a prophetic that we once did. That's why we're seeing all this uh, stuff happening in our country. We we've lost that prophetic voice as a black church, and so uh, we 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 have to be able to engage ourselves, engage our community, Jack, these young black men. These young black men are, they're suffering inwardly. You don't see violent aggression without some form of inward aggression, wrestling within themselves. They're trying to figure out, uh, they're trying to figure out who am I? What am I here for? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Why do I have such a passion for this woman that if I sleep with her and I have a child by her, I, I love her, but I, I want to deny the child. Why is that? Why is it that I'm so angry that I didn't have a father in the house and, and why mama keep trying to make me feel whatever? You know, that, that, that internal thing that we have to address as well as the spiritual thing that we have to address as pastors. I'm called to feed the sheep. And in feeding the sheep, what I have to do is let the feet let the sheep know the food is the grass. And I'm just a shepherd leading them to the grass. Well the or the Lord is the good shepherd leading to the grass. That's what we have to do. I, I got off on a rant. I didn't intend to do that, but uh, and, and uh, I'm, I have another book that's coming out uh, on differentiating himself. That's I'm actually trying to put it into a book and put information like this into it. And it's really hard to to go from academic writing to you know popular writing or writing for a broader audience. But I'm, I'm trying to make it work. Y'all pray for me because um, uh, this is one of the this is one of the things that I'm passionate about. I want people to be self-aware. I want them to be empowered. I want them to be liberated. And Christ is the liberator. He came to set people free. In whom he sets free is free indeed. That's that, that, the scripture there. And I believe uh, Rosalind says cultural shift 
often require an external catalyst. You're absolutely right. And I believe this this uh this of Dipsy hustle will serve as that cultural and uh catalyst. Uh Dr. King's assassination, uh, Malcolm X's assassination. I'll go so far as to say Tupac and Biggie's assassination served as catalysts for uh the hip hop community in, in, in many regards because they, they, they realized the violence that was, you know, perpetrated by their words, even if they themselves were not perpetrating their words, the imagery and all of that was doing so. And we have to have a cultural shift. The cultural shift starts with a mind shift, which leads in turn to a behavioral shift. And that's what he was here to do. Now, uh, I got to get off here. Um, I went over my time. I want to invite you again. Uh, we'll try to do this as every Wednesday as we can. I want to invite you to get your copy of my newest book, my latest book, uh, Reflections from the Pastor Study. It's available uh, for pre-order now on Amazon, uh, Amazon Kindle. Uh, the paperback will be available. You can go to Amazon and uh, search, or you go to my website, LorenzoTNeal.com, and search. Or uh, I got the link up there. On my on my page, I'll put it back up later. Go get the copy for you, for me, and for you, and for me. We'll enjoy it together. Uh, continue to be in prayer for all of those who uh, lost loved ones. Uh, solicit your prayers on behalf. Thank you, Reverend Dandridge. I appreciate it. Uh, a lot of people have lost lives to violence, and um, as an advocate against gun violence, advocate for gun violence prevention, as part of the Every Town Survivor Network. Um, I want you to please get engaged. If you know persons who have been affected by gun violence, I want you to connect them with the Everytown uh, Gun Safety Survivor Network, and you do so by texting uh, 64433 and text JOIN, and they can get connected with that. Um, I provide counseling services. Uh, if you are in a local area and you want to explore uh, this topic that I'm talking about, differentiation of self or with yourself or with your spouse, your partner, I'm available for that. And you can hit me up on the inbox and uh, or hit me up on email, pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com, and uh, we can make a connection and we want to go into that. Um, I think that's about all. We're getting ready to wrap up with, with – uh, the Lenten season, and if you've been participating in Lent, if you've been fasting, uh, I pray that you can hold on to the end. I'm trying to hold on because I want me some crawfish on Good Friday. <laughs> uh, Reverend uh, Ford Moore, we need the understanding that male influence and role models must also come from outside the family. Continual ministries and programs to engage young black males are essential. Yes, ma'am, they very much are essential. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, hip hop community is on edge and cognizance to do right, right with uh, assassination of Nipsey Hussle. I agree with you all together. I agree. I agree. Agree. All right, I've got to get out of here. Thank you all for tuning in. I uh, appreciate you again. Uh, this will be on Facebook, uh, so uh, go to my Facebook page, subscribe, and like, share this with your friends. And you all have a wonderful day. God bless you. God keep you.